This is the Dungeon Master's Handbook. Hi everyone, it's Michael, also known as Chicago Wiz. Welcome to episode 55 of Dungeon Master's Handbook. Thanks for listening. So this is take three, <laughs> my third attempt at recording this episode on Chainmail. And I'm going to laughingly blame the first two episodes being trashed to a wonderful podcaster who absolutely is doing some amazing work with Chainmail. And you need to put a pause on my episode and go listen to Daniel Norton of Bandit Keeps podcast. He is doing some fantastic work with Chainmail. And I, I was teasing him on the uh, Discord server for the folks that are, were on the Anchor, now known as Spotify, uh, podcasting service, that every time I sat down to record this episode on explaining how I run Chainmail in my OD&D games, Daniel puts out an episode that explains it so much better than I could. Um, I did write a companion blog post as to how I'm using Chainmail in my OD&D games. And I'm still going to post that, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes so that you can actually see the, uh, you know, ones and zeros, if you will, of, of how I do things. And the podcast was supposed to be about a why I do it, but really, you'd be better off listening to Daniel and seeing how he does his game. And you can come and read my blog post and see how I'm using Chainmail in my game. And I think... For this podcast, I am going to answer a couple of call-ins, but I kind of want to shift gears, and rather than talking about how I'm using Chainmail, I want to touch on a subject that actually one of Daniel's callers, I think it was Trevor, who made the comment of, oh, I, I, I'm so glad that you know, you're know you actually showing how to play Chainmail because I've looked around and I've you know it, it's not there. And it got me to thinking about how we all, we being uh, OD&D uh, folks or wargaming folks, are using Chainmail. And the fact that Chainmail has proven to be so adaptable. And so let me take a step back and kind of explain what I'm talking about. Um, you know, Chainmail comes out in the early 70s. Uh, it's used by folks up in Lake Geneva for running medieval war games. And then uh, David Arneson shows up, shows Gary Gygax, hey, this is how we're doing, you know, we're, we're adding dungeons and fantasy stuff and all these cool things from Tolkien and, you know, other influences into our war games. And thus, you know, D&D was born. And the idea was, well, we will use this war game to help adjudicate the kinds of battles that we're going to do. But wargaming, and I know I've talked about this before, wargaming, even to today, really, wargamers kind of expect that you are going to take a set of rules and make it fit for the scenario you want. I mean, you pick up any wargaming book. 
and you go look in the scenarios. Invariably, there's going to be, well, in order to do this, we're going to tweak the rules a little bit. And, you know, in order to simulate that, we're going to tweak the rules a little bit. I mean, there's uh, uh, Neil, Neil Thomas of um, uh, One Hour War Games and Ancient Medieval War Games uh, Publishing. Um, his rules are virtually written for that express purpose, to be able to take them, mold them, and make them fit so that if you want to implement something with a specific type of troop, it's easy enough to do. And, and Chainmail's much like that. I mean, you know, Chainmail was written to cover everything from a Dark Ages style of game all the way up through close to Pike and Shot type of, of uh, conflicts. Wide variety of battles that you can have there. And it was well understood in the late 60s, early 70s, that when you sit down with rules, you're going to take those rules and you're going to build off of them. You're going to create scenarios, and those scenarios are going to spell out how to use the things. So coming back to Trevor's comment when he says, I'm so glad to see, you know, he's glad to see Daniel spelling out how Daniel uses chainmail. Well, I'm using chainmail, but I'm using it completely different because the focus of my games and where I want to go with my games is different than where Daniel wants to go. And there's other folks that are using Chainmail that are podcasting about it. And I mean, this has been ground that people have been trotting uh, since, you know, well before, well, I mean, since it was published, but in terms of people blogging about it and putting it out there on the internet, I know I first stumbled onto some uh, supplements and booklets and things that were written in the mid-aughts. And I'll put notes and, and links to those in the show notes. The, the one that I'm really referring to is Complete Chainmail, written by a gentleman whose forum name is Alderon, and then taken by uh, Jason Vay of Grey Elf Games and converted into a booklet and put out there for free for everyone to use. I've taken that and I've adapted that, you know, two different ways. One way for my wife's solo campaign and then another way for me to use with my Rescue of Hamlet. And I think that's one of the harder parts to show about Chainmail is that we're all doing it slightly different. We're all adapting what is essentially a framework for implementing war games and adding on some fantasy and adding on some man-to-man -man combat. And we're all emphasizing different things or we're all getting to different places we want using a somewhat familiar and roughly compatible set of rules. I have no doubt that if I sat down at Daniel's table, I would easily be able to play chainmail with him. And I have no doubt that the reverse is true. So I guess the, the point here is that as we're all sharing these uh, ways that we're using chainmail. Keep in mind that a lot of chainmail is subject to the referee that that is implementing it. And so, yes, you're going to learn the basics. Yes, you're going to pick up commonalities. But I like absorbing from a lot of different influences because then I steal all of the the great stuff and add it to my own. And you know, obviously, I give credit, but you know, I make my game richer by finding all of these different bits that other people are doing. And that's a very common thing to do. 
um, very common back in the day. And I think for most of the chainmail aficionados, aficionados, chainmail fans, we'll, we'll use that word since apparently I can't talk today. <laughs> um, for all of the chainmail fans, you know, that's something that's clearly still done today. How am I going to implement it? How am I going to make it fit my game, my scenario, what I want to do? And I'm going to tweak it to do the things in the style that I like. So please, by all means, I'll put the links in the show notes. Go see Dan's stuff. Go read Complete Chainmail. Go see what I'm doing in my blog post. And pick up Chainmail and run it for yourself. See what you can come up with. You know, we all roll the dice and kind of smack our heads against the wall against some things, and then we'll go off and read how other people have dealt with it, and we'll go, ah, well, maybe I'll do it this way instead. And that will make you just as much of a chainmail player and GM as the rest of us. All right. Well, with that said, I think I can actually release this episode. But before I do that, I've got two call-ins today. And the first one is from Jason of Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Hey, Jason here. Just listened to episode 54. and Well, I've listened to your part of episode 54. I haven't listened to the call-ins yet. But I wanted to mention that the other game that feels a lot like that, you talk about the narrativeness these older games and how the combat's kind of there to be abstracted and move past to see what happens after the combat. Well, the original fantasy heartbreaker tunnels and trolls, which is more successful than the name heartbreaker should imply because it's still around. Right. Uh, recently bought by rebellion, unlimited rebellion, unleashed unlimited. I think anyway, the company that has 2000 AD judge shred, some other stuff. And, they are going to be, you can still buy it, and they're going to be doing some new stuff for it. But anyway, Tunnels and Trolls, with its combat, is very much that. And with also, like, the saving throw mechanics are very much, the saving rolls are very much, hey, player says, I want to do this, and DM says, oh, I think it'll be about this hard. So it fits right in there, too. So that was definitely in the zeitgeist and how a lot of games back to the early games were thought of. Now, that changed pretty quickly with some crunchy games that came in, but it's interesting how those three games all pretty much meet that criteria you mentioned and very well fit into the the kind of narrative space people talk about these days. Hey, Jason. Thank you very much for the call-in. I have to admit, I'm not really as learned in Tunnels and Trolls. I remember trying it out as a solo game. I want to say late 70s, early 80s, I I had maybe a book or I somehow stumbled onto it. And I have vague memories of it. It never made much of an impression on me, I guess. Um, I I do really enjoy seeing the passion that Tunnels and Trolls players um, have when they talk about the game. You know, it's clearly something that really connected with them. and, And there's, you know, it's awesome to see the passion behind it. I think, and this is only my opinion, but that the narrative in the 70s and early 80s was far more geared towards emergent style of play and the style of play that happened during the earlier years, as opposed to maybe the type of narrative game that we think about, you know, from like White Wolf and Vampire the Gathering, you know, the games that really popularize the storytelling, if you will, versus the emergent play kind of narrative. 
you know, interestingly, I, I see games like fifth edition bringing more back into the system and mechanics, you know, where emergent play can now tell as much of a narrative as say, you know, your background and your faction and, you know, that kind of thing, you know, and, and I think a difference these days is you, know, you have a focus on building the character backgrounds and storylines into the game from the very first get-go rather than coming out organically you know and that's kind of the general impression i get is you know folks talk about their characters from the 70s it seems like they talk more about these are the things I did in my campaign versus, you know, well, I was, you know, famous so-and-so from so on and fulfilling my destiny kind of thing. I get less of a sense of that. And I don't know, you know, I, I think that, um, though definitely that the idea that the gaming in the 70s was all about procedure and war games and all that, and that today it's more narrative, I don't think that's the case. Is it different? Absolutely, it's different. And, and I'd love to talk about it more. Thanks for the call, Jason. Next, we have Daniel from Bandit Keeps Mega Media Empire talking about Traveler. Hey, Michael. Daniel from Bandits Keep calling in, just listening to your episode about Traveler, classic Traveler at that. That You know, I agree with you. That sounds very narrative to me and very cool. Battlestar Galactica, also amazing. Loved it as a kid. I at first bounced off the new one. I think it was just too different for me when it was actually being aired. But then I watched it all in reruns later on. I don't know, streamed it or whatever on Netflix, whatever it was. And man, it was good. I didn't love the way it ended, but you know, hey, it was good though overall. And I really liked the characters and the idea of it and, and all that. So I could see playing in that world. I'm curious, are you going to go with the the people are basically humans as it would be? Are the in space like on their own? And planets they go to are basically for supply and things like that, which would be like the new series, right? Versus the old series where it seemed like they kept landing on planets that had people and stuff on it, almost like Star Trek. <laughs> and, and you know, it's funny. I didn't notice that as a kid. I was just totally into it. But then when I tried to watch it again a couple of years ago, I really noticed it. I was like, hold on. I thought everybody was supposed to be wiped out or, or on the run by from the Cylons. There's people everywhere. <laughs> so I'm curious how you're going to run it because it sounds really, really cool. And uh, yeah, you're making me want to pick up Classic Traveler. I did pick up the new Traveler a while back. Never got to got it to the table. Honestly, never read it. Uh, it's, the, the box set is sitting on my shelf, but I almost want to leave it on my shelf and pick up Classic based on what you're saying there. So very, very cool. Thanks so much for everything you do, and I will talk to you soon. Hey, Daniel. Thanks for your calling. I got to admit, I've been so tempted to record more podcasts about Traveler, but I don't want to turn this into a Traveler podcast because, you know, kind of Dungeon Master's Handbook, but in space, I don't know. I will admit that jumping into this game and reconnecting with it definitely has sparked a creative burst that, that I'm currently writing right now. I can kind of sort of answer your question about the um, what I'm doing with BSG. Um, part of it, I don't want to dive too deep into the details again because I don't know if I'm going to start a campaign on it or not. Anyway, um, part of the lore that I've established, though, is that um, the space that humankind first ventured into was uncolonized and then colonized by humans. And, um, you know, the, this happened, there was a dark time, and then there was the, the war with the Cylons. 
Well, there's an area virtually next door to where the uh, colonial, uh, the 12 colonies was set up, and it's called the Vale. I don't know if you remember, or I, I can't remember. Yeah, I think you said you hadn't seen the, the uh, original series. One of the things that they talked about in the original series was a large area of magnetic darkness. And so I kind of took that, and I've made something called the Veil. Um, and that's an area that was just beginning to get explored by the colonial scouts because I needed to have a scouting service, you know, a little bit based on the traveler rules. Um, and so I'm going to point the characters in that direction. You know, there are rumors, very whispered rumors that, oh, the scouts found something, but, um, no, nothing was announced publicly, but uh, it will definitely come out uh, in in the first uh, little bit of the game, I feel like, and uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to avoid spoilers because I definitely could see this uh, turning into a campaign as, as much creativity as I'm putting into it. Um, and I guess it's a good time to, time to say to everyone that uh, Gamehole Con has accepted my Battlestar Galactica Traveler game event. That is happening the third weekend in October in Madison, Wisconsin. So if you're curious about this whole scenario and what I'm doing and you want to play, well, I hope you'll join me. Um, me and my wife, Angie, are going to be there exploring uh, different games and having fun, and it would be awesome to see you and see you all and come say hi. Anyway, Dan, thanks for your call, and I hope you do pick up Classic Traveler and go through it and, uh, you know, share your thoughts about it. I, I'd be curious to see what you discover from, from the old game. All right, that's it. I hope you all have a wonderful June, and until next time, game on.